Good morning. You know, let me just uh, start off by saying it feels really good to know that I have an army of people praying for me. Um, I can't, I honestly can't count the amount of people who have told me this week or today alone that they are praying for this moment. Uh, And I know I have some folks, uh, a couple folks right now praying for me uh, at this exact second. So uh, thank you to those who have prayed, uh, are praying, and will continue to pray because it does make a difference. I uh, showed up this morning uh, rather nervous, and I just, I've got to say, once the worship started, just everything went away. Um, so praise God. And you know, looking at the text this morning, uh, I couldn't help but think of Chris's message last week. And you know, when I decided I was going to preach on Romans 14, uh, I had no idea at that time that he'd be guiding us through Christ, or Christ's prayer for our unity. Uh, that must be a topic that we need right now, don't you think? Uh, and lo and behold, it flows very well into today's message. So as we go through today, I want you to have that in the back of your minds um, as we look at what it means to be a unified body of believers. Okay? But even though the nerves have gone away, um, I've got to say I'm still coming at you today with a little bit of um, trepidation. And it's not because uh, you folks are intimidating. Um, uh, and you know, in, in fact, I feel honored uh, I'm privileged to be standing up here right now, and, uh, and it's joy, but this is not an easy text to read through every day for a week. You know, we're called to do things that we can only do by God's grace in our life and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I read this, and we'll read this, knowing the seriousness of the charges that are given to us as a unified body just as serious as that charge that Russ just gave me. Um, So the text is probably going to call us out. It called me out. It's probably not going to feel very comfortable at times. Uh, But we never mature in our faith by staying comfortable, do we? No. So I pray that this message is encouraging. I do. Uh, I do also pray that it's convicting. Uh, But I'd be lying uh, if I said that I didn't wrestle with thoughts of, oh man, I really don't want anyone to be angry with me because of this. So, bear with me, all right? Uh, Understand that I am preaching to myself just as much as I am preaching to you this morning, okay? Are you ready? Okay, there's no turning back. Um, What word would you use to describe the last year? Let's hear some. What do you guys think? What word would you use to describe the last year? Chaos, Chaos, absolutely. Uh, Long. I know it was 365 days, but it feels like over 700 somehow. Um, Hard, sad, disappointing. Yeah, the reality is, man, that this year was one to remember. Um, How about unprecedented? How many times have you heard the word unprecedented in the last year? You know, it's to the point where unprecedented is now the precedent, right? Um, All right, more specifically, how would you describe the world in the last year? You know, I I don't know. I don't know what word you'd use, but it certainly seems easier to recognize man's brokenness and our desperate need for a Savior with each passing day, don't you think? 
I don't need to convince you that the world is divided. A unified nation seems like a bygone dream, doesn't it? Uh, in fact, it seems like there's this chasm that's separating the nation, and it's only growing wider by the day. It doesn't seem like there's anything as compromise anymore on the smaller issues. It's a, if you're not with us, you're against us mentality. There's no room for dialogue, or so it seems. Okay, how about the church? How about the body of Christ? Are we immune from this divide? Have we been in this last year? How do you think others outside of the church would describe us? That's a question to consider. You know, 10 minutes on Facebook or any other social media that, that you may use would tell us that they wouldn't immediately think of the word unified, would they? And I don't have to convince you. Uh, there is division with the church on full display for the world to see, and brothers and sisters, the world does see. They notice. And that's a tragedy. And as Christians, the last thing that should define us is division. We have the ultimate reason to be unified in any circumstance. Amen? So consider this an exhortation. As Rush charged me, let me charge you with three things this morning. All right? Let us remind ourselves what a committed and unified body of believers looks like. So firstly, to pursue unity, we need to stop, remember his word, and we need to keep things in perspective. All right, let's turn to Romans 14. We're starting in verse 1 today. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. That's the message, that's it, right there. <laughs> Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servants of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems each or one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, whose are we? We are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We'll stop there for now. I've already made the point that if you spend five minutes on any social media scrolling, you'll quickly find evidence of, what does it say, quarreling over opinions in verse 1. 
You'll find evidence of despising the weaker in verse 2. You'll find evidence of judging the stronger. Have you read something posted by a brother or sister in this church in the last year and rolled your eyes? Maybe you turn to the person you were sitting next to and you say, did you see what Jeff posted? Uh, Have you ever drafted a lengthy response intent on maybe dismantling their point of view, thinking that'll show them? Uh, Maybe you were the one who made the initial post and then spent the next hour arguing with any person who commented. Brothers and sisters, stop. Remember his word. Okay? Keep your perspective in line. We cannot be unified if we aren't focused on the same thing. So let me be clear. Firstly, these opinions being argued that we're talking about here, these are not matters of the gospel. Let's be clear on that. This is not saying that truth is relative. Believe whatever you want to believe as long as we all get along. That is not what this is saying, okay? The gospel is definite. It is absolute. The truth is absolute. Paul has a very different reaction to differences in the gospel. You know, for, uh, in Galatians 1, 6-7, Galatians 3, 1-5, Paul's response to them, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He didn't just stand by for that. And in fact, I'm confident that if I stood up here and preached anything contrary to Christ crucified, uh, the entire elder board would probably stand up. Uh, I bet they'd cut off my mic, they'd grab their shepherd's crook, and they'd pull me off the stage. Um, and Dan is nodding over there. <laughs> uh, and they would have a duty to do so. So, issues on eating, celebrating different holy days, and we'll get to some others, are different. These are issues that aren't specifically addressed under the New Covenant, except maybe to say that um, you can't impose it as a condition of salvation. Now, these issues are not unimportant. I'm not saying that. And that's not what we read here. But unity within the church is more important. And these issues go beyond food and drink. Fill in the blank. We all have personal experience with this, whether it's dancing, Playing cards, owning a television, listening to the Beatles. I've heard all of those. Or any number of issues in the last year alone. So with that perspective in mind, know that to be unified, we are called to have a sure conviction with a desire to honor the Lord in reverent humility. Let me say that again. We are called to have a sure conviction with a desire to honor the Lord in reverent humility. Now Paul does say, the strong take part in their liberties granted them through Christ while the weak abstain. But do you notice what Paul doesn't do? He doesn't condemn the strong for exercising their freedom, nor does he condemn the weak for choosing not to. He instead does what? He cautions them in their response to one another. Uh, And now these responsibilities, they aren't one-sided. So I don't want you to think that today. Look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So we read that the strong have the obligation not to hate the other. And the ESV says despise. The weaker, likewise, have the obligation not to do what? Not to judge the other. He does not say, Woe to you for eating unclean meat. 
or woe to you for avoiding what God has now granted to you as clean. Instead, he says, who do you think you are? Stop rolling your eyes at each other. Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. Why? For the Lord is able to make him stand. God has welcomed them as a brother or sister. Why aren't you? If the God of the universe, who formed you and everyone you know and everything you could see or possibly imagine with a single breath, welcomes you and clothes you in his righteousness on the day of judgment, and they do the same for your brother, are you going to accuse God of injustice that day? Because someone didn't agree with you on something so trivial and they're standing right next to you? No, you're not. Instead of judging our brother and sister, instead of quarreling over the minute details, we need to be focused on our own conviction. Verse 5 says that. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, John Calvin actually comments every work. However splendid, or splendid, that's my main accent coming out, uh, and excellent in appearance, is counted as sin. Except it be founded on a right conscience. For God regards not the outward display, but the inward obedience of the heart. So whether you choose to fill in the blank, remember the last year has left us with a lot of considerations. You need to make absolutely sure that your conscience is clear. We need a sure conviction. Are you sure in yours? Are you being led by your brothers and sisters to partake in something that you don't feel is right? Or are you, do, or are you dragging some poor, reluctant soul behind you, not realizing that you're tearing them apart in the process? So stop, remember his word, and be sure in your conviction. Are you partaking in something with a clear scriptural approval and you're certain of it? Good. But with that conviction, we need a desire to honor the Lord. Verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in what? In honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in what? Honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. So Paul is appealing now to both groups. We have the strong and the weak. And we may have differences in opinion, but ultimately we have a shared goal, don't we? The deep desire to honor the same Lord. A daily reminder of this desire will put minor differences into perspective. It will. You can not be upset with someone when you see their genuine effort to please the Lord in faithfulness. And if you are, stop and say it with me now. Remember his word. With a sure conviction and a desire to honor the Lord in reverent humility. Verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Whose are we? We're the Lord's. Remember that. Be in awe of that. We are the Lord's if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, aren't we? Christ has authority over us as our Lord, in verse 9. He alone died and rose again. He alone will be the judge of his people. So when you are bowing before the Lord, giving an account of your life to him, as it says in verses 10, 11, and 12, guess what? I'm going to be standing right next to you. We all stand before the judgment seat of God. I won't be elevated above you, judging you, and I'm not going to be prostrate on the ground before you. We'll be kneeling on equal ground, bowing before the same Lord, clothed in the same righteousness of Christ. So next time we feel the urge to scoff at our brother, the next time we are tempted to pass judgment on them, know that one day you are going to confess to God right alongside them. So keep things in perspective. And two, keep others in consideration. Starting in verse 13. Therefore, so with that in mind, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is, is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. We'll stop there. All right, verse 13, look at that. That's your action step. I've been in a lot of Zoom meetings, um, so we have a lot of action steps at the end of those. (laughs) But what does it say? Never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So let's not skip over any of this. Paul's going to elaborate on this. There are clear actions that we must take, and they must not be taken lightly. Actions have consequences, good or bad. This is important. Now, Paul does acknowledge again that the strong... He says, are correct in their belief that nothing is unclean in itself, as far as the food goes, in verse 14. Paul himself has a clear conviction. He's rooted in Christ's teaching, and in humility he recognizes that not every believer enjoys the same freedom of conscience. But, and this is important, considering his brother and sister is more important than partaking in his liberties. Let's think very seriously about Paul's words in verse 15 because I know I am touching on a sensitive subject right now. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Okay, let's read that again. For if you are breathed, or if your brother is grieved by what you eat, 
you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do you understand how serious that is? I hope so. If a brother is grieved simply by what we eat, we are no longer walking in love. Even when we have the liberty to enjoy something with a clear conviction, a desire to honor the Lord in reverent humility, and they are grieved by it, we are no longer walking in love. So where does the burden lie here? Is it on the brother who's grieved? Well, if you don't like it, don't do it. No. Where does the burden lie here? It's on the one enjoying their liberties. If they see us, or know us partaking in something that they believe is unclean and is grieved by it, we are no longer walking in love. The burden is not on the weaker brother to turn away and pretend that they don't see anything. Even if it's clean. Even if it's good. It's on us to always consider the weaker brother. So this begs the question, how do we know who is going to be grieved? Now, many of you came alongside us as Haley and I walked through uh, her pregnancy. And when we welcomed little Sammy into the world on July 2nd, you all rejoiced with us. And I told many of you that the love we felt from this church was overwhelming, and it really was. Uh, It was clear in that moment and in many others after that, that we are truly cared for by the members of this church. Um, With that birth, that is one thing I'm never going to forget that week. Um, But fewer uh, knew that at the time I was last on this stage preaching, uh, September 29th, 2019, not that I remember, (laughs) Haley uh, that morning had received uh, another negative pregnancy test that same morning, uh, which was just one of many. Uh, Fewer knew that for two years we had been trying to conceive to no avail. Uh, And the tears that we fought back Uh, are still very fresh in my mind uh, as we congratulated uh, friends and loved ones on the births of their little ones. Uh, And we were left to question in that moment if and when we would ever welcome our own little son. And I see him now. Uh, And many of you know this struggle. You do. And I'm not telling you this to insinuate that it's a sin to announce your pregnancy. No, that is wonderful news. Uh, But you need to know that your family is in Christ is struggling with things that you do not know. Clearly, we have a happy ending to our story. Um, It's it's super joyful to see my wife up there with my son, watching me preach. Um, But you can bet that we were acutely aware of how our announcement may have affected others. And we need that awareness in all things. We do. Brothers and sisters, there are members of this church that are struggling with things that you do not know. Nor would you guess unless told. There are people in my life that are struggling with alcoholism and I will never know it. There are men and women struggling with same-sex attraction and I will never know it. They are struggling with gluttony, with anger, with Jealousy, self-worth, finances, addiction, you name it. And we are called to consider them. Considering your brother and sister is far more important than enjoying your liberty. Because your actions have consequences. And in this case, dire ones, it says. So before you post or comment, 
or roll your eyes, consider. Is there a time to post? Absolutely. But disregard the gets destruction. We are warned our carelessness could destroy the one for whom Christ died in the second half of verse 15. And in the context of Jewish faith, uh, destroy would mean to cut off from the covenant community. So to encourage behavior that someone's conscience forbids is a serious and dangerous act. An act that we must not take lightly. So stop and remember his word. Is this saying we must abstain from everything at all times? No, not at all. But are we willing to? Are we willing? Are we willing to forego a good thing in our life if it means a better witness to those around us? It's a serious question. Consider that. And if we're holding on to something so dearly that we're not willing to sacrifice it for our brother's or our sister's benefit, then you may have found an idol in your life. Verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So don't turn your privileges into a stumbling block, in other words. Why? The kingdom of God is not about what you are and are not allowed to do. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You're not going to enter the kingdom of God and say, wow, I'm really glad I was able to drink a glass of wine every now and then. You're not. What does it say? It's about righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. And do you know what that means? Do you know the implications of that? It means that our freedom isn't tied to our liberties. We don't lose our freedom when we give up our rights. We won't care about them one bit when we enter the kingdom in its glory. Where does our true freedom lie? It is not a trick question. This is a Sunday school answer. Where does our true freedom lie? Jesus, in Christ. We are free in Christ. Our true freedom is not based on eating. It is not based on drinking. None of that matters in the kingdom. God's kingdom and our freedom thereof is based on grace. Just turn quickly, Romans 5. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by what? By faith into his what? Into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, not in our liberties. And by the way, that means this goes far beyond simple matters of food and drink. We have been given immense freedom in this country. You know, I have the ability right now to preach Christ freely. We can meet as a congregation without fear of death. So, if our true freedom cannot be lost by refraining from our liberties, then thank God neither can our freedom be lost if our earthly ones are stripped away. If everything we value about this country is suddenly gone, because after all, no man-made nation is eternal, remember that, we will still be free. So if the Constitution is burned, 
If the Bill of Rights is cast out and our democracy is overthrown, guess what? We are still free. We may lose everything in this world, but still be free. Otherwise, our freedom our freedom is perverted. Christ is not simply the guide to our freedom. Christ is not a tool to access unbridled liberty. He is our freedom, and he is our only true freedom. Our freedoms in this country are not guaranteed. They aren't, but Christ is. And until we understand that, we cannot maintain unity. So since we cannot lose our freedom by restraint, we must be willing to lay them down. Why? For the sake of the body of Christ. Verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So that means even the world notices. And you can bet they notice when it's not approved. Verse 19, so then let us pursue for what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now I told you these were not easy actions to take. Uh, neither was it easy for Christ when he laid down everything for you, though. And I know that seems like an overwhelming responsibility, and that's because on our own power it is. So, I'll say it again. Stop. Remember his word. And keep things in perspective. Keep others in consideration. And finally, keep yourself in second. Start in verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And we have to keep going. We can't end there. Verse 1, 15. Uh, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. In other words, we need to move, we need to shift from selfishness to selflessness. We are a world obsessed with self. Tell me I'm wrong. You will find evidence of that anywhere you go, any time of day. You'll probably find evidence of that uh, in the next couple of hours. And if it hasn't been clear from the last 19 verses, we need to actively fight against that mindset. What did verse 20 say? Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. It's not worth it. Sure, everything's clean. But it's wrong to make anyone stumble by what he eats. 
so we can keep things in perspective, we can consider others, but unless we consider others before ourselves, it will not matter. Selfishness coerces others to do something that they don't feel they ought to do. Selflessness points others to the Lord who gives them their joy. Again, I know I'm saying it a lot. Your joy does not come from your liberties. And that may mean sacrificing some liberty. Now, in college, we utilized a ministry called I Am Second. Many of you might be familiar with it. Uh, it's testimonies of people that you might recognize describing how they realized that they needed to put Jesus first. You know, it's anyone from uh, Lecrae, Chip and Joanna Gaines is on there, Carrie Underwood, to even uh, to Head, the guitarist from Korn. Uh, seriously, look it up. It's really cool. <laughs> um, so for a while, I wore the bracelet that you see on that screen. It said, I am second on it. And occasionally, I would get someone to ask me about it. And I'd explain, and we'd go on our day. Um, then one day, I was visiting my cousins, who all loved the Lord dearly. Uh, and I was asked by one of them about my bracelet. So I explained how I had put Jesus first in my life. Ergo, I am second. Well, there was a pause. And another one of my cousins chimed in and said, All right, who's third? All right, that's a valid question. <laughs> uh, I thought about it for a second uh, before responding, well, I am. Uh, whenever I get married, my wife will be second. God first, then my wife, then me. Good. Who's fourth? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, my kids, whenever I have them. There's God, my wife, my kids, and then me. Fifth. Well, I thought about it, and I realized that I needed to redo that bracelet. <laughs> because the reality is that we're not second, we're last. We need to consider everyone else before us. And you know, you know that being married means making some sacrifices, doesn't it? You may have the freedom to go out each night and to hang with the guys or uh, to play video games until one in the morning. But if you truly love your wife, you forgo that what which you once did, don't you? And you'll be glad to do so, won't you? Because you love your wife more than the stuff that you did as a bachelor. Of course, the same goes for parents. <laughs> My goodness, do I know that I have significantly less flexibility than I did seven months ago. <laughs> um, and you know what? It's worth it, isn't it? Because I love Sammy far more than I had loved anything that I have given up for him. And before you say, I know what you're thinking, before you say I'm being repetitive, I think I need to be. There's a reason that this chapter says it over and over. It's so important that we understand that at the end of the day, what matters more is your brother and your sister. So, is it worth it to you? Do you love your brother and sister enough to let go of something good? On the other end, do you love your brother and sister enough to trust that if they're doing something that you aren't, that they're still trying to honor God? Let's look at verse 21. It is good not to eat mink or eat meat 
or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. I think we're clear on that. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So at the end of the day, the faith that you have in your conviction, so if you exercise that liberty with no one else around, what does it say? You're blessed. So if you exercise that liberty with no one else around, you are blessed. Praise God that you can enjoy that specific part of creation with the one who created it. But if we have doubts, we have one final warning here in verse 23. But whoever has doubts, don't forget this, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now notice quickly that the sin is not in the partaking in this instance. The sin is in doing something that we believe God has forbidden. In other words, it's intentionally disobeying God. So listen closely to that conscience of yours. And I'll say this one more time. Be careful not to lead others into sin by encouraging them to go against their conscience. Now, this can be easy to understand and yet difficult to apply, I know. We're always running the risk of taking advantage of our freedoms to the downfall of our brothers. Or, on the other hand, we're on the risk of turning our conviction to refrain in something into a divine mandate, imposing a dangerous legalism on others. So what's our duty? How do we move forward with this charge? Because that's what it is, a charge to love our brothers and our sisters. How do we remain selfless? How do we remain unified? Well, there is one definite, trustworthy, and reliable solution. Stop. Say it with me. Remember his word. We keep things in perspective when we know the perspective given in Scripture. We keep others in consideration when Scripture reminds us that our actions have consequences. And we keep ourselves in second, or last, when we understand the example set before us in His Word. Now I know, real original, Jeff. The moral of the sermon is to read your Bible. Well, yeah, of course it is. Never forget it. To be unified around the truth, we need to know the truth. And you will never get the truth if you only immerse yourself in Scripture for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. You won't. So, I don't care how many times you need to hear, you're going to keep hearing it. So let's look at the Word one more time this morning. We see everything summed up in the first few verses of chapter 15. I told you I couldn't just end with the end of 14. Okay? I had to keep going. We won't be long. We'll get out a little early, actually. Uh, 15 verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to do what? To bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Why? To build him up. So, what's Scripture telling us? Be patient with your brother. Bear with the failings of the weak. Be considerate of your brother. Hopefully we're clear. 
And when we scroll through Facebook or Instagram or uh, MeWe or whatever else there is now uh, and find ourselves discouraged, because we will, know this, that we have the ultimate example in Christ and the ultimate encouragement in his word. Verse 3, just cherish this verse. For Christ did not please himself. Underline that. Christ did not please himself. I thank the Lord for that. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The willingness of Jesus to deny himself should serve as our example. Each and every day, shouldn't it? For whatever was written in our former days, verse 4 says, was written... For what? Our instruction. That through endurance, when times get tough, when we get discouraged, through the encouragements of the scriptures, we might have hope. So as we struggle with our selfishness, as we grapple with our pride, and as we deal with our sinful self, no. We can endure through the example that Christ set before us in scriptures. We can. Take heart, I have overcome the world, Christ says. So no, brothers and sisters, the world is watching. They will see unity or they will see discord. So one last time. Stop and remember his word. <laughs> Let me close with this benediction in verses 5 and 6. I told you we were getting out a little early. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, that is not always an easy task. Because I know if we are honest with ourselves, and if I am honest with myself, I am a selfish man. And it can be hard for me to put others first. It can be hard for us to do that. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us the strength to do what we cannot do on our own. Lord, would you help us to put things in perspective. When there are arguments, when there are disagreements on Facebook and anything that we see, Lord, Will you remind us of what really is important? Will you guide us towards unity? And Lord, will you help us to always consider our brother and sister? Lord, we all know that there are struggles in this church that we do not see. And I love this body of believers, and I know that this body loves me. And I know that we love each other, Lord. So I pray for your glory that we would always
be considering our brother and our sister, no matter the cost. Lord, I pray, man, I just pray, God, that we would not put ourselves second or third or fourth or fifth, but last. And Lord, that can be hard, I know. That can be hard, especially when our brother or sister does something that makes us upset. But I pray, God, that in that moment that you would have us stop and remember your word, Lord. Lord, we are reminded that we need you and we need your word. We are reminded that we need more than 40 minutes of a week of it. So God, I pray for each and every member of this congregation that you put it on their hearts and that you would remind me and put it on my heart each and every day to immerse ourselves in your word and that we would know your truth. Lord, I pray as we go out this week as a unified body, I pray for endurance, I pray for encouragement, I pray that we would live in such harmony that's unique to the world right now. I pray that our brothers and our sisters and those who are not yet our brothers and our sisters, I pray that they would all notice it. Lord, we are grateful that you are good you are loving and that we have your word. So it is in your precious, your holy name that we pray. Amen.